I know a matter of observation that's already easily keen for each of us is that so many of our number are unable to be with us today due to illnesses and sicknesses, and, and that number is certainly very great. And yet for those of us that have been blessed to, to gather this morning, we're thankful that things are with us as well as they are. And it's our earnest plea and prayer that for the others, it will soon be far better for them as well. Certainly our elders are again very mindful of the, the overall health and well-being of everyone. And so for, for the lesson this morning, as we uh, give some thought to the teaching of the Word of God, a lesson of encouragement, hopefully, or at least a lesson that will set before us a reminder of God's marvelous and salient truth. I had initially prepared a lesson, as you can see, touching the, the book of Philippians. And we may well reserve that for perhaps a separate time or a separate opportunity. And let me at least invite you to consider one of the Psalms as, uh, as we give some thought to maybe the most well-known of all of the Psalms. I have in mind Psalm 23. If you'd like to be turning to that particular Psalm, I do believe it will be a consideration, a subject, that will certainly have a great deal of encouragement and a great deal of reminder, and a great deal of setting before us some matters that should be a constant theme on our heart. In the long ago, David, of course, was well familiar with the tending of sheep. He was well familiar with that which went into the safeguarding and providing for them that which they needed. I would like you to listen to some of his expressions as he makes this particular statement. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are a number of things that might be said about that psalm. First of all, it's not terribly lengthy. There are many of the other psalms far longer than it is. And yet, as it's also true, you may notice that in many Bibles, it is in fact such that there is a statement right before the opening verse that identifies the one to whom it's primarily attributed. Now, it would seem that the first 72 of the Psalms are primarily Davidic in character. We have no reason to think that this one isn't as well. That second king of Israel, that one who is otherwise stated to be a man after God's own heart, in 2 Samuel 23, 2, it was there where he himself said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. David understood then that the things you and I would recognize as Scripture emanated from that which he spoke and wrote. And yet, as he began this particular psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. May I go ahead and suggest that one of the things that is certainly very common, and I have often done it myself, many families find the 23rd Psalm as a source of comfort in the midst of grief. And thus, I can't think of a single funeral service that I've ever delivered wherein at the cemetery, 
it was not at least a part of reference to make use of the psalm, uh, of the psalm we've just read. But let me be quick to say this as well. It would entirely seem to me that the tailoring of this psalm for circumstances like that is to miss a fair amount of the point. David wasn't at the point of grief in the sense of his own death or the death of somebody else. David was fully alive. In the midst of his life, he proclaimed, The Lord is my shepherd. You see, it would be, in fact, appear to me that this would be a far better psalm at a baptism. In other words, you are making a profession to live your life in such a way that you are always going to allow God to be your shepherd, to guide you through the wherewithal of life, to lead you through the various realities and the facing of those matters. It isn't just a psalm for the, for the consideration of a passing of a loved one. It ought to be a far more meaningful exercise to daily make profession, to follow as a sheep does his, its shepherd, to follow the guiding leadership of the God of heaven. In fact, you might note one other thing about the placement of this psalm. We know it is Psalm 23. Have you ever thought about what's in Psalm 22 and what's in Psalm 24? In other words, it is sandwiched between the following observations. You and I know well Psalm 22 is a powerful reminder of history written before its time. It is Psalm 22 that casts a spotlight on the crucifixion of Jesus. It is in Psalm 22 that we are reminded that the characteristic of He would be pierced and the characteristic of Psalm 22.1, that is the very passage the Lord quoted on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You'll notice then Psalm 22 had much to say about the crucifixion. I wonder what's in Psalm 24. Because whatever it is, it's in 23, is right between them. Among other things, note how Psalm 24 ends. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so Psalm 22, a reminder of the crucifixion. Psalm 24, the truth about the Lord's ascension to glory, as recorded in Acts chapter 1. And right between is what we call the shepherd's psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David, a thousand years before Jesus was born, he made the assertion of how needful it was in his life that he, like a sheep with regard to a dutiful shepherd, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And therefore, he made profession to turn his life in attention to the, the directorship and the leadership of God because he then went on to say, I shall not want. Isn't it true that those shepherds of the ancient era, they not only were charged with the duty and the responsibility of ensuring that their flock had sufficient pasture and that it had sufficient water and it had sufficient safety, David here could say that with regard to God as my shepherd, I shall not want. Question, are you wanting for anything today? What about me? We have the full assurance, didn't Jesus Himself say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 And in that context, He was referring, of course, to things like food, 
shelter, the necessary provisions of life, such as clothing and otherwise, God said, I will promise to ensure that those needs are met if you'll put me first. David here said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And though you and I are so many centuries this side of David's actual writing of that, how meaningful can that sentiment still be for us? Look on to the next verse. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now we know that as a shepherd would provide the necessary pasturage for the sheep. Obviously, the shepherd would never take his sheep to a barren place where they had nothing to eat. For after all, he would soon lose them, they would starve, or be the prey of wolves or otherwise. And yet, we have reference to green pastures. Notice, he's not talking about some minimal provision. There's an abundant provision here. The pastures are green and they are abundant and they are exceedingly worthwhile. That verse ends by saying, He leadeth me beside the still waters. The waters are not choppy. The waters are not otherwise dangerous. The shepherd has made provision for David in such a way, again, that these necessary and wonderful things are available. The question might again be asked about you and me today. Is your life one described as moving beside still waters? Is your life and mine being described as one accessible to green pastures? Look at verse 3. He restoreth my soul. Now here's one that may pose a bit more challenge in that when you and I give thought about shepherds in light of sheep, might you and I never forget Jesus Himself said in John 10, beginning in verse number 1, I am the good shepherd, He wrote. My sheep know my voice, they hear my voice, and they follow my voice. Today, thus, as dutiful sheep, as those who are in fact members of the kingdom of God, we have professed to be the sheep of the Master, and yet He restoreth my soul. Isn't it interesting that certainly mired in sin, we understand that a person is separated from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And in that condition, in that circumstance, there is loss, there is ruin, there is such a sad situation. And yet, David could here speak about the restoration of his soul. Now, he amplifies that by saying, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. The restoring of the soul and the matters in righteousness go hand in hand. Because righteousness, you see, comes of God. Psalm 119 verse 172 reminds us of that truth. And yet in light of that matter, we notice, He restoreth my soul, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Didn't Jesus say it like this as He closed that model prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now pausing at that point, notice, there is a petition for God to provide daily that which the blessings would involve in terms of food. Sounds a lot like the green pastures, doesn't it? But the Lord went on to say in that model prayer of Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, He spoke there, 
about this truth as well. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus there highlighted how appropriate it is to pray that God will lead us into those paths of righteousness. And yet, David said something very similar, didn't he? He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The opening three verses thus have been a powerful reminder of things, part of which were true for sheep, but much of it, of course, points directly to the nature of those who follow the God of heaven. But now the last three verses. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David now turns his attention. He isn't talking about sheep now. Although they may have prompted his initial appreciations about water and green pastures and the concept of a shepherd, now his application to himself runs deep and it runs rather majestic. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David knew very well the threat of death. Saul, you may remember, more than once had had his sights set on killing David. He threw a javelin intending to take David's life from him, but of course he did not succeed at that point. Saul, not only that, had chased David throughout the countryside of Israel because he wanted to kill David. Not only Saul, but David had other enemies. There were those who, of course, were somewhat encouraging of other people as king and were not always so excited about David. He had his political enemies. David had other enemies as well. At the very least, David here could comment, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, that's a valley that every one of us are going to walk through at some point if the Lord delays His coming. That's a valley that every one of us will trod and plod and move our way along through, and we have nothing that we can do to avoid it. In Hebrews 9.27 we read, As it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. And so it's true that the shadow of death and the valley accompanying that is an oft-mentioned matter in the Word of God, and David knew it well. I would suppose that there are few things, to most people at least, that are more fearful, that are more uncertain, and that are more the subject of trepidation as death. We like that which is certain in that, that with which we're familiar, and yet no one has passed through the channel of death and come back to tell us in some dramatic and powerful way what it's like apart from revelation in the Word of God. David here could say, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David knew that was going to happen. Consider some of the other statements made by the same gentleman. Didn't David, at the time that he prepared Solomon to be the next king, David could, in fact, to his son say, I am going the way of all the earth. David knew his death was just about to take place. Interestingly enough, he then finishes verse 4 and says, I will fear no evil. Are you afraid of dying? Be honest. 
Is there something about it that seeks to dwell in you with not only uncertainty, but in fact, a fair amount of fear? David here said, I'll fear no evil. There is no evil connected with his conception of what was going to be involved in this, because he went on and said, For thou art with me. The reason he didn't fear was not because he was the king, or not because he was going to be the king, or not because of any other effect that men may otherwise have had. His sole source of comfort and his sole source of appreciation was thou art with me. One more time, could you not at least think of it this way with me? As often as we use this in a time of grief for the passing of a loved one, we now perhaps see why some choose to use it in that way. But notice, it is far more a lesson for the living than it is, of course, for those who have passed on. While you and I are alive, the comfort of God should be with us. The leadership of the Lord should ever be at our side. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, isn't it true that we do have significant comfort available? 2 Corinthians 1.3 reminds us, God Himself said, Thou art the God of all comfort. It is true then that in our daily sojourn of life, beset by challenges and difficulties, and beset by difficulties, and often beset by the poor choices of others who are around us, and those choices impact us we here nonetheless can rest upon the comfort made available through these two things, thy rod. What is the rod of God? And what sorts of things is it capable of? Well, surely, I think we would all readily remember that in the days of Moses, the rod was a very prolific thing. He held it out over the Red Sea, and the waters parted, and God's people were rescued. They were delivered, if you please, whereas the enemies drowned. You may remember that that rod is mentioned in other connections, sometimes in light of that great event where God's people were protected from various enemies. Thy rod is a rod of power. Our God is able to do anything consistent with His will. Matthew 19.26 still says, With God, all things are possible. Jeremiah 32.17 reminds us that God's right hand knows no bound to what it can accomplish. Maybe in that connection, in that light, we come to the last one. It says, Thy staff. Not only His rod, but His staff. A staff, of course, was used for a number of purposes to assist and to aid. And we have here these two references to that which is of God providing the necessary accompaniment for life to be as wholesome, as provided for, and as sound. What about verse number 5? Thou preparest a table before me. Now, the provision of a table, that one more time, sounds like the matter of God's great means of making available what people need. But that's not really the point here. It says, before me in the presence of mine enemies. David knew he had enemies. I would suspect you and I do too. 
In fact, aren't we promised in 2 Timothy 3, 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And isn't it true that there are those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? Philippians 3, verses 18, 19, and 20. At this point, David said, I will in fact not only survive, but I will in fact triumph. I will have a table prepared in the very presence of mine enemies, a table prepared by the God of heaven, because God's been with me. That verse ends by saying, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. David knew about the matter of anointing. You might recall Samuel anointed him as king in 1 Samuel 16. And perhaps David many times had seen the anointing of someone such as a priest or perhaps some other official. And David here points out that thou, that's God, anointest my head with oil. A a significant reminder that when he was living in faithfulness, God was with him. He wasn't just doing things by his own strength and power. Isn't it a bit of a a reminder at this point of how David viewed Saul? Saul, of course, was his predecessor as the king of Israel. But David more than once referred to Saul as God's anointed. The one whom God had anointed king and the one whom God had specially chosen to lead his people. And for that reason, the power of God rested in decision and in might with him. David said, My cup runneth over. How significantly did David consider his blessings to be? Not only had he triumphed over enemies, he now says, My cup is full. It runs over. I suspect that many of us could echo a similar sentiment. Maybe in particular arenas in life, things are so different than they were perhaps many, many years or decades ago. And God, through the strength of provision, has brought you and me to a place so better than what it might have been. The verse closes by saying, My cup runneth over, and the psalm ends with these words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In many ways, it is a bit of a reminder of some other Bible characters who at least said things comparable to this. Do you recall at one point that Paul was able to say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1 verses 19 to 21. It might well be at this point, David now says, Surely. There was no doubt in his mind. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David had a commitment, a conviction, a dedication, a degree of devotion, if you please, in such a way that he was assured that mercy and goodness would follow him all the days of his life. But not only that, I will dwell, he claimed, in the house of the Lord forever. Now that phrase, house of the Lord, is so rich biblically, isn't it? In fact, as you make application to your life and mine today, of course, we come to 1 Timothy 3.15. There, Paul was able to that congregation, or rather to Timothy, in light of the church at Ephesus to write, 
if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the house of God today is the church, and you and I can thus say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That means a faithful life in Christ, a faithful life dedicated to the cause of truth, and yet even when our time for demise comes, the time that we depart from this life, we only look forward thus to what lies beyond. Because just as was true of Lazarus in Luke 16, he left this place and went to a better place, a place that was a place of comfort, a place of bliss, a place of marvelous provision. This psalm has thus ended by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not just for a limited amount of time, but forever. And let's close the lesson in some ways similar to the way we began it. By rehearsing there that Psalm 22, the Lord's crucifixion. Psalm 24, His ascension. Psalm 23, right in between. A rather powerful description, you see, of that which would correspond to the blessing available through the church. Today, Jesus still is the Good Shepherd, John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. He is the one who opens the door and invites one and all to come, but He leaves that ultimate decision to us. It could be today that in this assembly, that there's someone whose life, though once a faithful Christian, Though once connected to the nature of the premises of this psalm, you were living day by day with Christ Jesus as your shepherd, but no longer. You're trying to go it alone, or trying by your own character decisions, and yet you know that will not be good. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And so today, we extend the Lord's invitation, prompted in our thinking by the 23rd Psalm today, but nonetheless, a psalm echoed so many times by words Jesus Himself said, "'Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" Matthew 11, 28-30. Just like the shepherd would provide provision and rest and, and safety and security to the sheep, Jesus is promising that to you and me. Are you living in such a way that you're enjoying those blessings and benefits? If you are, you know what a safeguard to life that is. But if you're not, don't you miss it? Don't you want what you once had had? If we could be of some assistance today as... The Lord's invitation is extended. We want you to know if we could pray for you, if we could in fact make acknowledgement of public sins, things that, that you are interested now to confess and repent of, God has promised to forgive. If any of those things would be the need of your heart and life today, we extend this invitation and do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.